Welcome to Gender Weird, the podcast where we ruin your favorite movies by calling them gay. This is Jane. And this is Vivian Strange. Today we're going to be talking about two very, you know, popular, well-known movies, um, Mulholland Drive and Persona. So Mulholland Drive is my favorite movie uh, of all time, um, if, if I had to pick one. I encountered it first when I was a teenager. It was an essential part of my transgender weird awakening. I looked at ratings for things because I found them very interesting. Um, and one of the things it was rated R for was strong sexuality. So I thought, oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, let's, you know, let's. Um, so I, I, I got it. I took it home. Almost two hours in, nothing, like nothing sexual whatsoever. Obviously, because of the, the nature of the movie itself, I had no fucking idea where it was going. The, the sexual content came up and it came out of the fucking blue um it was um it was rather shocking uh and is 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 gay i just came to love it more and more especially as i as i came out and you know became a woman and all that which is why it's easy for me to see the the gender weird reading of maholland drive i feel like for me i've always kind of been like intrigued by like why a movie is rated R or NC-17. Yep. I remember the first, uh, it was X at the time, X-rated movie that I watched was uh, Midnight Cowboy. And I watched it <laughs> with my dad because he liked uh, oh. cowboy movies, which it was, no, it was about <laughs> a gay prostitute. Um, and, but it was, it was, I remember watching it and I remember thinking like, this doesn't really seem like it needs to be rated X. And yeah. it didn't. That's just the, you know, the MPA is very, uh, homophobic <laughs> honestly yeah. and, and they continue to be to this day that's that's why we don't get that many nc-17 you know rated movies uh because i really started yeah. getting into film when i entered my first year of college but like but yeah i guess like david lynch and Ingmar bergman they were both like two directors that i kind of gravitated towards like pretty early on in my um cinephile journey um bergman actually is kind of like the one that that really cemented that okay yes i want to watch every movie and that was after i watched uh, seventh seal and loved it because it was unlike anything else i saw before i didn't watch that many films from other countries and languages uh yeah it was it was a little bit new to me from seventh seal i watched virgin spring and winter light and through glass darkly and the silence and i became a big bergman fan something like that i think wild strawberries was one of the first ones but I think what was interesting about Persona when I first watched it is because it kind of, it was really the first film that really called attention to the artifice of filmmaking itself. And that mm-hmm. kind of just completely like disrupted kind of like my notions for what narrative on screen is supposed to look like. It kind of, and it kind of like, in some ways it, it, it popped my cinema cherry. <laughs> um, and, and I think like from, from then on, I, and then also there was also that underlying level of uh, lesbianism. I think I actually watched that movie before Mulholland Drive, but I watched them around the same time. Um, the yeah. more I watched, the more I liked, and then the more I realized I was gravitating towards queer things, something that I was <laughs> yeah. really repressing before that. And it just so happened that a lot of my favorite films were either made by queers or they're about <laughs> queer people. Um, 
Mulholland Drive and Persona, they they, ha- they do have like a lot of like similarities to like uh, to how they explore gender and, and lesbianism um, and also just kind of like, you know, cinema as like this like this like artifice in a way and like the, the role of like mm-hmm. constructing identities. Yeah. As far as I know, Bergman and Lynch, neither of them are queer, but something tells me you disagree. <laughs> I do disagree. Very, very, uh, I'm very opinionated about these two directors. Um, and honestly, the, um, uh, the reason why, uh, we're, we're, we're pairing these two together is, um, we're, we're doing some psychoanalysis, uh, hmm. of, of a sort. I know it's a, it's a dirty word, but yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what we're doing because they, Bergman and Lynch are both directors who their work very, easily and like clearly lends itself to psychoanalytic interpretation because that's that's just that's how they make movies david lynch describes uh he's literally putting his subconscious and just the ideas he you know picks out of, of of the universe the ones that come to him and he puts that puts those into film and bergman is i mean bergman's one of the most like psychological filmmakers uh there that mm-hmm. there's ever been and I think these two movies in particular um, tell us about Bergman and Lynch's uh, respective gender issues. Bergman was, you know, ostensibly just a, a, a straight cis man, and David Lynch is ostensibly the same. But I'm, I don't buy it. Um, <laughs> like, uh, to, to be able to make, it's, it's my opinion that... To be able to to tell this this kind of story, even the drive to tell uh, stories like these at all is a sign of, of 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 gender weirdness. Like the way Bergman explores women and uh, the, the the female mind, it, it's compelling. It's telling. I think a lot of people have written him off as just having severe mommy issues, and he does. He ha- he has very severe mommy issues, but. Um, <laughs> Try finding a trans person who doesn't. Um. I think also, like, kind of, like, one reason I thought that Persona and Mulholland Drive would be a good pairing. I think, like, Mulholland Drive clearly, like, actually takes after Persona quite directly in some ways. That and, like, mm-hmm. uh, Sunset Boulevard big time. And But I think, like, yep. in a way, you know, we might be able to say that Ingmar Bergman and David Lynch indulge in, like, their most, like, experimental and lesbian tendencies. But, you know, mm-hmm. the themes of identity... In relationship to gender, sexuality, sensuality, mental illness, parenthood, stardom, there's a lot of overlap there, um, and, and there's, yeah. there's even some shots that are directly lifted from from the other. I think a lot of people on impulse they would say you can't; it's wrong to look at certain artists and say, oh, they're not gay or trans or whatever. We shouldn't say that because because you know they would argue that we you know it's wrong for us to do that. But at the same time, that also puts us in a place where we default to heteronormativity, where throughout mm-hmm. history, most exactly. people were just straight. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, I call bullshit on that. The, the mindset of we can't uh, theorize about and try to understand uh, creators um, and artists' uh, relationships to gender and sexuality, uh, especially as far as like... De- weirdness goes we we default to heteronormativity it's it's a way for 
historians or the authority of his the authorities of history to to wipe us out to to wipe because because that's the thing if what we think of in the present day as the qualifications i guess for queerness and transness they require a a, a specific coming out process the use of specific language they have to come out and and say that they're they're a particular thing. They have to there there is a process to things. And that process is a very, very new thing. And it is It's a new thing that comes with a marginally welcoming society and kind of like that was just mm-hmm. not there before. Um Exactly. And but but I think at the same time you one could still say, Vivian, that like we are projecting our own kind of like reading onto real living well, I mean living and and deceased people um and yeah. and kind of like arguing that that they're that that there may be something a little fruity to them without them <laughs> directly in interviews or whatever directly saying that they're a little fruity with kurt cobain it's kind of like a no-brainer if, if you don't think that that guy has anything going on <laughs> you're just wrong <laughs> yeah kurt cobain was a was a a, a a trans woman um i i don't care what anyone else says that's that's kind of the, the accepted uh wisdom of the day and yeah but with the cam you can actually like point towards like diary entries and like and interviews and and the general vibe and gender nonconformity <laughs> yeah. that you know he committed it, it it's like there's something more tangible there whereas i feel a bit yeah. like with somebody like lynch or Bergman, we are looking at the text of their films as a manner to kind of like to extrapolate something from their films to then argue that, you know, this says something about the person where I think no doubt it does. I think everybody wrestles with gender and, you know, gender sexuality in one mm-hmm. way or another. Yep. Um, and, I, you know, I feel like, you know, it's, it's not necessarily just a fetishistic thing. I, yeah. I feel like with in, in the case of these two people, I, I would say like they seldom like commit fetishism. Um, yeah, for real. The the Bergman's portrayal of women is uh, is consistently very nuanced and uh, complex and mm-hmm. insightful. There, there there is so much insight there. And same with same with David Lynch. David Lynch's character, like his films, are have drawn some criticism for you know the, the portrayal of misogynistic violence and whatnot. And I hate those criticisms um because they're they're dumb and wrong um <laughs> because you know portraying one portraying violence uh of any kind is not an endorsement of it um in blue velvet for instance the uh the scene where uh homies in the closet um watching uh frank um assault it's it's tricky. It's an in, it's an interesting thing that and that that goes into just the 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 idea of uh, ideas of like uh, consent, um, sadomasochism, uh, voyeurism. Yeah, voyeurism. You know, th- th- things like that. There's a lot of like complex things happening there. The media illiterate viewer is would look at that and only see just on the surface like, oh, there's a portrayal of of rape and that bad. Um, and it's even eroticized because, yeah, like portrayals of rape can be eroticized. They, you know, they they often are, and it's not a, it's not inherently a a a bad thing because 
you know, art explores the darkest corners of uh, the human condition. Yeah. And sometimes there's a dark part of us that kind of like, there's almost like this uh, attraction to kind of like depravity. We we want to see it in the arts and, you know, people fantasize about these kind of things. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is like an outlet. And oftentimes these outlets also simultaneously critique that part of us. I think that's kind of something to, yep. to like keep in mind when, when we're looking at somebody like Lynch or, or Bergman for that matter. Um, I, I've heard exactly. arguments that his films are sexist too. And by and large, not really. <laughs> for real. Like, I, I don't understand how someone could watch the the Silence of God trilogy, uh, Persona, uh, Hour of the Wolf, Cries and Whispers, Autumn Sonata, uh, fucking Fanny and Alexander, uh, just like any of his films that prominently feature women. Even most of that, them? <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. It's, I, Brink I don't like Brink of Life, uh, Thirst, oh, so many. And even The Virgin Spring, even The Virgin Spring, because, like, I, 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 lo- I love The Virgin Spring, and I think it, it, I think it is utterly fascinating how one of, if not the most influential horror director uh horror filmmaker of the latter half of the 20th century um his first movie was a a loose retelling of virgin spring talking about wes craven's last house on the left it was in the language of exploitation cinema um however the virgin spring is very much not that like well i think like with like Amber bergman like there's this one quote, it was something to the effect of, like, he makes his films about women because he likes being around women on set because everything is more fun around women. Something like that. Was that was that a quote from him, or... I'm uh, paraphrasing him. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay, that's the thing about working uh, on set and making and making films together, is it's a very intimate process, and um, you have spend a very long time around you know particular people and you know if you're a into girls and you make films because like i and i don't think he made a bunch of films about women because he was just because he was horny for them like that that that's a that's that's a stretch especially like what these films are about exactly persona could have been more sexualized if that were the case oh yeah like it easily could have been because i know like and he's not even been completely shy about these kind of things because and like when he did summer of monica there's like i mean he got like this is quite a young girl to kind of like you know be topless and i'm saying like he could be sexualizing more than he does and the fact that he doesn't says something about his respect for women for for background um for folks who may not know um Ingmar Bergman was married uh, five times um, to, to, to five different women over the, the, the course of his life, um, and also had a number of, like, affairs with the, the actresses he, he, frequently, he frequently used, because very much like Lynch does, he, he's worked with the same actors uh, over and over. There was, uh, most prominently, Liv Ullman, um, Who's and, in, who's in uh, Persona and yep. B.B. Anderson. Who is also in Persona. Yeah, Correct. like he, he um, uh, and if if I'm not mistaken, uh, when that one came out, that was after he had 
already been with Liv because because they kept working together after they had like you know broke it up. That that seems to be a thing um, with, with with Bergman. Yeah, which I think is is telling because like I'm sorry if I, I don't believe that if if he was actually shitty and and uh, abusive or exploitative uh, to the women he worked with. I just don't think they would have probably kept working with him, especially as like Liv Ullman in particular, like, 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 goddamn, she, she, she was there till the, the, the very end. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I, I think at the very least, I think people are trying to problematize the director based off of, I don't know, vibes, not wanting a yeah. cis guy to be kind of like the, center the straight guy at the center of attention or whatever and 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 knock him down a peg uh i i will mention this in one of his autobiographies that he was writing um he did where that's full of exaggerations like as is um about like you know how he wanted how he worshipped hitler he did not worship hitler um he was somewhat fascinated by by fascism in his youth um and then also um in that autobiography, he confessed to um, he confessed to what is interpreted as raping either his girlfriend or wife at the time, um, and it, it didn't make it into the actual autobiography because after just have talked with the editor, and like, did it happen? Nobody besides him and his already exaggerated account of his life support it, but I mean, it could be. It could be. I, yeah. I, I don't want, I want to always like acknowledge these kinds of things, but. Uh, yeah, absolutely. About like kind of like disparities in power and how people kind of like, you know, exploit that. I mean, like, um, or, or don't, you know I mean? But, but, but I think like. Yeah. Either way, you know, I mean, he, he might have some skeletons in his closet. Yeah. And, and as he might also be in the closet. <laughs> yep, exactly. And, and like conducting oneself uh, uh, appropriately um is a good exa- like David Lynch David Lynch is one of the most well-behaved uh directors like uh, ever though he's never had continuing creative partnerships with uh several women like 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 Bergman he's very like you know the the, the he has a troop of regulars um but he didn't he didn't fuck any of that. Well, he didn't date any of them. Um, we, yeah, we don't. I mean, as far as we know, he didn't. Yeah, um, but but, um, but it's like, but it is kind of this like he views them more as like a muse in a way to kind of like to kind of like you know tell tell his stories, and I find that interesting. I mean, like I guess like the most problematic thing that I know that he's done was like sign the petition for Polanski, but so did like everybody in Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah, like that. That's a that's a whole other can of worms. The but that I, I do want to talk about it on a future episode because there is a lot to be said about Roman Polanski. Because as far as ostensibly male directors whose works have insight into the feminine condition, The Tenet is a very trans movie, like, like almost ex- right? uh, yeah, like, <laughs> uh, like explicitly so. And uh, that you have Repulsion, you have Rosemary's Baby, you have like. Which makes the con- makes the conversation difficult because you know I, I think everyone you know knows what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Uh, but and with with Bergman, see that's something that I don't think we should shy away from. That's 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 something that you know where we're 
reluctant to that that's part of why we're reluctant to uh read queerness and transness into uh you know ostensibly problematic male directors yeah because because we don't want you know because like we don't want like a, a rapist mansplaining about what it's like to be um you know a woman basically yeah yeah and like including bergman in the uh the the canon the the queer canon um is a is contentious to 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 a lot of people which is is persona i think is one of the greatest uh queer movies made oh hands Um, down if not the greatest i think like yeah but it's like it's i mean this is persona is something that's like you talk about uh, Mulholland Drive being your favorite film. Persona is like my second favorite film, <laughs> I think. Nice. I say that without fully comprehending every detail of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, of it's, it's, it's hard. Persona is kind of a, a hard movie to completely stomach, but it, but I think like, but you're right. There is something there. There is something there. And I feel like even with like some of these like artists, have they done questionable to outright heinous things in their life absolutely at the same time their films also wrestle with those demons uh-huh hour of the wolf in particular um hour hour of the wolf uh is uh, 1968 is bergman's film following persona and is often like grouped together with it as like a companion piece because um it is i'd say it's mm-hmm. probably his most trans movie um it, it shows very much a its protagonist is uh, a man um a a a writer um of course um and very very thinly veiled self insert um like shared autobiograph shared autobiographical details uh-huh. and everything and that movie is very much about bergman reckoning with with masculinity and and the 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 curse of it if you will um yeah the existential dread of being a man that's like intended you know as dictated by society god whatever you know specifically um, yeah specifically as it applies to uh the way women are mistreated because because that's the that's 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 the thing with like david lynch too especially it's like you can tell from his from his film from his work that what fascinates him what engrosses him is the way that the patriarchy uh oppresses women like twin peaks like what do you think twin peaks is about it is it's about laura palmer anybody who doesn't doesn't get uh who is upset by the fact that fire walk with me was focused on her and not like a sequel to the to, to the series is um doesn't get it um <laughs> that, i mean them is that they just don't get the show's not about dale it's about it's about oh, laura no. palmer and it always has been um, mm-hmm. but, but, but yeah, like David Lynch, um, is engrossed with the, the way that women are abused and, and treated by the patriarchy. And, and that's something that, you know, you can tell he has a personal investment and stake in. Sure. And, 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 you know, he's somebody that seems like a generally nice guy, but what about somebody like, Polanski or Bergman where like you know they're you know ranging from contentious to outright you know monstrous like where does where would you say queerness fits into that like 
see that's that's the thing uh the problem that a lot of people would have with me saying that yeah no i think bergman and polanski were uh were slash are gender weird um to a degree i think the main issue people take with that is we don't want that we 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 very much think of uh tend to think of our identity um as far as gender and sexuality go our identities as a matter of community it's it's a it's a it's a community that we all belong to and yeah, but there's always going to be bad apples in a community exactly and- exactly and the fact is that uh gender weirdness is part of the human condition when I was at my most masculine. I have a toxic relationship with the testosterone in my body telling me what mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Um, and when you have that toxic relationship and then you surrender yourself to it, you start being like, oh, I'm not a woman. I'm a man. And the woman is the other. Yeah. And the woman is to be dominated. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a bad mentality, but like at a practical level, I don't exercise that. But, you know, in the head... It's it's there, and that's the message I'm telling myself. But I know that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so I might as well just be a faggot, you know? <laughs> and, right. And like, and you know, I'm more mentally healthy at this point. But but it, it's there. And I'm not saying that like, oh, you know, people asserting power over women is inherently a sign of gender weirdness. No, of course not. Absolutely not. How a man interacts with a woman sometimes that can either come from failures of heteronormativity and mm-hmm. like men's relationship to women how they're supposed in how society kind of ostensibly even to this day you know says men should be on top women should be on the bottom <laughs> and i don't just mean yeah. sexually i'm talking about socially so oh, socially yeah. sexually yeah. intertwined right and mm-hmm. when people have this fractured relationship with gender one way or another or they double down or one way or another yeah they can be an abusive asshole yeah, I think I think it, it. The more you repress it, the more the more the worse you're gonna be. It's like would the 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 thing we like to you know, jokingly say is like would transition have saved her? Um, and it would have helped. Uh, <laughs> like like you know that that that's just that's just it is. Uh, patriarchy is an inherently toxic thing. Masculinity itself is not inherently toxic i wouldn't say i mean i think masculinity and femininity are equally made up um and constructed but it's relative too yeah, yeah they're very relative um but like patriarchy is inherently toxic and destructive and to um per the rules and the the way our society is built it necessitates that men in order to be men must dominate and must oppress socially sexually every every single way is like that's how it's like meant to be as society dictates and yeah that and that's the thing and and i think that honestly part of it is like you know men they'll feel like they have to uphold you know as feminists say toxic masculinity because Mm -hmm. you know what toxic masculinity is it's masculinity (laughs) yeah um and and, and yes, I know that, like, you know, there, there's the queer masculinity, you know, marginalized communities will try to kind of, like, rehabilitate or reform kind of, like, masculinity yeah. in their own way. And, and that's fine, especially, like, trans masculinity. You know, we see, like, people are trying to be like, hey, I'm already thinking really critically about gender. 
I'm not going to go toxic. I'm defining manhood in my own terms. That's what that's how trans men can be. And that's yeah. that's, that's beautiful. Straight men sometimes can be that way too, you know, or cis yeah. men, I guess. Um, when somebody hates themselves for being gay or trans or whatever, it's hard for somebody to truly love another person without first loving themselves. Patriarchy tells people to hate people. Yeah, it tells. That's it, it, what people need to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, domination and oppression is built into the thing, and like I, I have in the past, like said that you know masculinity is inherently toxic, which I wouldn't. Uh, I, I'd revise that because they, again, there, there are, you know, people who want to are trying to reclaim masculinity, create some healthy expressions of it. Um, really, the toxic thing is patriarchy. So I, I. I've I've come around and like to make that distinction, um, but but yeah, like as defined by our society, masculinity is inherently a model of domination and control. Femininity, according to the patriarchy, is uh, one of submission and being controlled. Yeah, kind of uh, like yes. Traditional marriage. By traditional, I'm talking about women being married off to a man. Mm-hmm. It's property exchange it's yep it's a merge of two families symbolized by hey let's give your son this girl Mm -hmm. women are uh have been and arguably still are like i they are they are i mean i maintain that that's that is that is still the case the the design of patriarchy the structure of patriarchy is necessarily one in which women are uh commodities they're 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 property and um and you know there's there's it all comes down to power all comes down always always comes down to power um yeah and when you abuse power or exploit power that's where the problem lies uh so i think like when it comes to like the you know this like relationship with gender you know you know we try to like oh hey i'm a man i swear i'm a man but in the process of, of separating men from women you know internally like oh i need to uphold my manliness or my, I need to uphold yeah. my womanliness and do this and that, as society says. I want to kind of like be a girl boss and define on my own terms. But there's this friction by gender segregation. Instead of understanding that gender is something that's malleable, in part mm-hmm. socially constructed, based off of certain observable, natural, and social factors. Um, yeah. And... The, the more a man others a woman or you know a man others <laughs> a woman yeah. the more you, you reflexively fall back on toxicity and you also in the process other them now i think something that i find interesting about like persona and mohal and jive both the woman that sister alma and persona goes after elizabeth is in a roundabout way if not fully, at least in part, the same person as herself. Yeah. In Mulholland Drive, you basically get the same, you get to some degree the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we can view some of these characters as separate entities, but in relationships, when we have our little love bubbles, create this fictive version of the people that we lust after and romanticize. It's uh-huh. not grounded in reality. Romance yeah. that's that, that's not grounded in any practicality and anything that can actually like 
exist in any practical sense that defies logic is not good. <laughs> yeah. Like the more you romanticize somebody, the more, you know, you're, cause you're not falling in love with the person. You're falling in love with the idea of the person. Yeah. And like in, um, in Mulholland Drive, in her dream, uh, Diane, um, Naomi Watts's character, she projects as Betty. The, yeah. 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 The version of, uh, Camilla that she projects, the, the Rita, um, it's it's a it's a projection of uh, of herself. She is, she has created a a fantasy situation um, in her head, wherein she is like like the nurse to the uh, to the to the patient, the patient, like in like in persona, because that's, that's correct. Because there's one character that's like supposedly mentally ill, and part of that also is within a lesbian relationship, or at least a homosexual one. That let's face it, is homosexual. Um, yeah, uh, or at least homosexual. In these relationships, it's almost like, hey, the mental illness, you know, it's almost a form of submission. It's it's relative gender roles in in a lesbian relationship, where it's almost like you know, it's like I'm the one that's guiding you. I'm helping you. I'm you know, mm-hmm. and then we can kind of help each other and form this relationship. It's, it's idealized, but it's almost like a reduction of another person. And something that, that uh, Sister Alma comes to discover in Persona is that Elizabeth, the patient, is actually studying her in some ways. Yep, exactly. That idealism is dropped. They get into this, like, cat fight in a way. Um, yeah, no, you absolutely. Know, climaxing with, like, you know, grabbing that boiling water. Um, when we get into that love bubble and we romanticize, we don't think practically. If we're actually falling in love with something that we're creating ourselves, an extension of ourselves, mm-hmm. this kind of reminds me of like this, the search for the lost film in terms of like in films when in like Vertigo and in, in Solaris when when a man is is going after is is trying to like reconnect with femininity through another person mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. So Persona and Mahalan Drive alike, they basically are like showcasing this like, oh hey. When we fall in love with another person, in some ways we want to be them. It's no surprise that kind of like towards the end, you know, Rita in the dream wears the wig as well. And it's like, oh, or or Mm -hmm. we either want to be them or we want to construct them in our own image. One or the other or kind of this this halfway interconnecting point. Exactly. The thing is, if you look in Lynch's life or Bergman's life, you know, if they're pulling from any type of experience inside, they're projection of romance is hey i want to be this person i want to mold this person in my image and 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 they're critical of it because they know that it's 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 not practical Uh it's not good but in the process it's this when you operate within kind of a lesbian framework you can you kind of distance yourself a little bit if we're falling in love with an extension of ourselves and what we want for ourselves if it's with two women, what does that mean? We want the other person. And so, and if it's with a straight guy wanting a girl, falling in love with a girl, they want to be close to a girl. Mm-hmm. They want to be the girl. Exactly. Um, so, need- if there's any... Does this mean Bergman wanted to be a girl? Not necessarily, but there's probably some part of him exactly. in romantic situations where gender becomes confronted... He saw himself in, he saw himself in the women in his life. 
Uh, Lynch 2. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, uh-huh. That's a, uh, I think another like, you know, a testament to that is the way they use the same uh, actresses um, mm-hmm. and the same collaborators through through the thing. Like, you cannot convince me that Bergman did not project an idealized version of uh, of, of himself onto Liv Ullman. Um, it's like his, his longest standing collaborator. And it's like, you, you don't like... If our ideal partner is also an extension of our ideal self, what does this say about Bergman and Lynch? It, 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 there, there has to be something there. Even if it's deep, even if it's minor, it's still there. Or at exactly. least was for Bergman. You know, it's like... yeah. And I feel like this also kind of ties to like in Mulholland Drive, almost like this this romanticism of Hollywood. Not only do you romanticize, you know, other people, like we want to be like the stars. That's kind of yeah. like Betty in the dream world, like her kind of like she wants to fulfill the American dream, make big in Hollywood. She has this bright, idealistic kind of smile. It's so hyper romanticized. And there's almost like this like underlying darkness beneath it all, too. But it's like, yeah. We want to be like the stars. We want to be like our crushes. We want to be with them. We want to be them. We want the romantic lives that's sold to us through these films, but they don't reflect reality. And in a way, for as sad as, you know, Mulholland Drive may be, and for as much of a puzzle as Persona may be, these films depict relationships more authentically than a lot of other films do. Mm-hmm. And yep. using you know a lesbian framework behind that is is you know there's there's some, there's something to that yeah that that's like worth like considering. David Lynch did an interview recently. Um, it was a really good interview. Uh, they talked about Hollywood and um, Mulholland Drive was something that uh is something that 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 came up. The question being, is the portrait of Hollywood you created in Mulholland Drive still relevant? And David Lynch said. I didn't even know it was a Hollywood movie. I understood it afterwards. Ideas arise in your consciousness. You see them, hear them, and when they coagulate, you see a theme emerge. You put it down on paper, and it turns into a story. It's not an end, but a means of organizing ideas. And then you translate that, and you're like, oh, this is a Hollywood story. But that's not a commentary on Hollywood per se. It's a story that's located there. I realized late that Mulholland Drive had to start on Mulholland Drive. People say, it's about the status of women in Hollywood. But no, it's not about the actresses, but about a woman and her experience, about a man and his experience. One of the ways in which Mulholland Drive uh, connects to and speaks to me personally is a disillusionment with, with Hollywood. Because, you know, I, I used to want to... I used to want to be that. I, I used to want to be the uh, Justin Theroux's character, um, Adam, in in Mulholland Drive. Like, I wanted to be that, that, you know, that, that star director. But then, you know, I, I grew up and I realized that that's a myth. It's a myth and it is. Right. And like, um, so yeah, I, I relate to Mulholland Drive as a, a dispelling of the Hollywood illusion. Um, Hollywood is like, it's like the backdrop. It's, it's like the, it's the setting. Everybody exist in relationship to their environment society informs us the romanticism of hollywood and the romanticism of romance that's kind of our models found in hollywood uh-huh they're they're inseparable they're in they're intertwined and i think with that in mind i've had persona a bit more of a, of a puzzle i feel like my honestly i think for the most part it's pretty clear cut 
for me. Yeah, Mulholland Drive is more straightforward than people give it credit for. And it's like, yeah, you can kind of like, you get lost in like the details or whatever, but like, that's not <laughs> the core thing of the film. It, it, it Deconstructing the Hollywood dream, the, the American dream as it manifests in Hollywood and in romantic relationships. It, it, it's, it's the setting and relationship with like, the individuals, how we romanticize people, places, things, our futures, who who we're going to spend the rest of our lives with. If you don't have some kind of practical basis of the person that you're in love with, you know, of of like the trajectory of the relationship, it's not going to go well. Yeah. um... Like you can't, okay, like, don't get me wrong. I think like the love bubble, this is what I want to talk about, the love bubble. First of all, like the whole reason why there's so, so many affairs happen in the first place is because like... When people enter a serious relationship, they don't get tired of the partner necessarily. Some, some of them do, but they could be, you know, really much in love with this person and there's some, there's a practical direction for their future. What they're now unable to replicate is what they can be nostalgic for. The beginning stage, that love bubble where everybody acts like a little puppy. And so that's why they, they'll try to find it in other places. And that's natural. These na- these emotions, they're natural, and we shouldn't try to repress them to a point that we are unhealthy, you know? And But but when it comes to, like, a love bubble, it's okay to have that so long mm-hmm. as you can see yeah. past it. You can, you can mm-hmm. and when yep. we're forming a relationship, sometimes people have this tendency to not think in any practical direction. Yeah. When you don't think in any practical direction, it's going to end up crashing and burning always Mm -hmm. yeah and looking at the pattern of david lynch and ingmar bergman's lives that is uh not uncommon um to have like multiple marriages um like Mm -hmm. uh, for these 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 figures that i that I, you know, read gender weirdness and, and transness into. I think the reason for that is when I was, when I was a boy, um, <laughs> I was, I was also one of those constantly in and out of, of new relationships. Um, and what I didn't realize, uh, at the time, it, it was, it was a process that I had to, you know, it was something I had to, I had to grow out of and had to, you know, come to grips with was the fact that I, was I was projecting I was I was projecting uh what I you know what I want you know for myself to the to the mysterious other um mm-hmm. and by by being in a relationship with or by um you know as as a man uh being in a relationship with a woman uh there's that blueprint of domination and and control like the the uh, the idea that as as a, as a man, the only way we can uh, be close to women is by, you know, dominating and 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 control and like mm-hmm. in a roundabout way, yeah. And, and, and but I think I can relate to that in a way because I was like trying to the way that I try to like have sa- try to save relationships in the past mm-hmm. is try to uphold that masculinity yeah. that was just like tearing the relationship apart mm-hmm. and it doesn't um, work and no it it doesn't work especially for a trans person mm-hmm. uh, especially for a trans person where that doesn't even apply to them yeah some people maybe that's their thing for trans people no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and, and and again and also like uh, looking back at certain crushes i've had on on women 
you know, I, I thought I was like a gay guy when I was younger, but it didn't make sense because I also had a crush on women because I want to be with women. It, it, it didn't make sense. Trans women, yeah. it makes perfect sense. Uh-huh. But at the time, this, this, is, this is my process. You know, I've said before, is it that I wanted to be with them or I wanted to be them? And the answer yeah. is somewhere in between. It's this nebulous yeah. thing because in a relationship, you know, basically the idea is two people become one. We'll talk about this in a few episodes when we talk about Hedvig a bit, probably. But like we want to, we want to kind of like, like, like be fulfilled with like another person. Mm-hmm. But what do we really want? We need to work on loving ourselves. And how do we do that as trans people and gay people? You know, accepting yeah. yourself. Exactly. And uh, the because that that whole that that's something I've uh, I've heard echoed by like almost every trans woman I've ever met um, who's 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 into women, the whole like, do I want to be with them or be them? And that's a that's a that's a it's it's a very it's a very, you know, common thing. And I think, honestly, with most relationships, most uh, what we what we see as romantic relationships, I think a vast majority of them are built on that um, i mean like not i think that there's definitely room for nuance and it's kind of this like it's this nebulous thing where it's kind of like people oscillate between different kind of like fields of like thought and like what they want for themselves what they want for the future and how much of that is socially informed how much of that is less their biological wiring there's a lot of different factors you know society celebrates the frankly, sometimes negative tendencies that testosterone can have on men. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And the, it, it, it celebrates that. It puts men on top. The hunter and the gatherer, you know? Yeah. Build buildings. We can build societies. But we still want to hold on to the primitive instinct that we have already evolved from. It's it, it's it's ludicrous, really. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, Well, it's seeing what we want of ourselves uh in others and that 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 whole you know being with someone versus being them is just it's a necessary part of the human condition it's unavoidable because we're all narcissists like i i think that's something that as human beings we need to accept the sooner we accept that we are ego driven and then analyze that and criticize that be aware of that acknowledge it we can then have more fruitful of relationships with other people yeah just accept that in every buddy you meet everybody you encounter there is a a mirror other human beings are to a degree mirrors in which we we have the mm-hmm. capacity to see ourselves and being which aware of that is reflects <laughs> yeah oh yeah definitely persona that's a, that's like arguably what it's because the thing i notice most like uh mainstream critics take away from persona is it's not the gay shit somehow um uh but but it's but it's the you know they're they're like they talk about things like you know nebulous like identity and identity what identity yeah it's it's all gendered related gender and sexuality that's or sensuality this is one reason i love persona one of the most vivid images of a scene comes from for me comes from this film and it's not even visually shown you already mm-hmm. know what i'm yep, talking I know about one of the stories that sister alma recalls like the homoerotic story of like how she got pregnant um basically mm-hmm. um 
Yeah. And and kind of like how she had this sexual experience with um when men approached her at the beach when she was sunbathing naked with her friend. <laughs> yeah, like um, she says uh, this to this girl that she's crushing on. <laughs> yeah, and, and that that is such a an erotic scene, just like overall, like oh god, BB Anderson is amazing because even though they they don't even touch one another in the scene, they just are communicating through. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, it, it is it, it is one it is one sided. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, Elizabeth doesn't she she listens to she because she doesn't talk. That's kind of like is effectively mute. Yeah. Um, you know, as a response to some form of trauma, you know, and you know, she's mute in Mohan Drive. Uh, you know, Rita is is a uh, she has lost amnesia. her memory. She, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. So, so there, there's definitely the, the, there's this parallel there, and basically they listen to the other person. They're submissive in a, in a, in a way mm-hmm. yep. until you realize that that person has more agency than you might originally think, and how yeah. they're more in control of you than you might originally think. And you get exactly. bitter about that because you feel cheated, you feel lied to, you feel threatened, even. Mm-hmm. That, that... And, but at the, it's it's it, it's it's insane. The, the the film, the way that it depicts gender as it relates to self, as it relates to romance, as it relates to the form of cinema itself. Yeah, it like... is very meta. Both of these films are very meta. And deconstructive of all of that. You know yeah. what? Screw it. I, I I I agree with you. I think Bergman was a tranny. Uh, Lynch. I, I, I think there, there, there's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there there might be something there. <laughs> like uh, David Lynch in in has a has a has a, a a suit like a like a patented look and everything. That is like just the biggest dyke energy. Oh uh, yeah, he has like a dyke. He has, like, like, dyke like, haircut too. Um, Oh, I mean, yeah. I think it's also worth like, saying something that he did incorporate transness into Twin Peaks. Uh, uh-huh. was, it just, was it just season two? But I know in the in the return, he returned to the trans angle. You know, it wasn't like the focal point of the series, mm-hmm. but he made the head of the FBI um, <laughs> be a trans woman and be his boss. He, she now climbed to the top. Yeah. And is now, okay, because like he has a character in this and he was like the, you know, Eventually, somebody that worked under him, who is a trans woman, begins working over him, and almost a little bit of a, you know, a surrender to that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> surrender to that control. <laughs> I, I love also the 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 implication in their conversation. Like uh, he he said, like uh, you know, back in the day, you were a you were a wild thing. Um, and <laughs> I, I I I wonder, like like. Oh, what uh, does he know? <laughs> what what does he know? You can fill a Grand Canyon with this dirt I got on you. <laughs> yeah, and like honestly, the whole thing with Denise, uh, the, the 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 trans character, um, is obviously gotten criticism for uh, you know, the a cis, cis person cis person playing a trans, which we'll get more into into that in future episodes. Um, but like, um, one was nineteen ninety. Like for fuck's sake, uh, and, and two, like him revisit choosing to revisit it in the return. Um, what I saw was a, a very much a boomer um, because yet yeah, David Lynch is, is is very much a baby boomer um, interfacing with transness in in an interesting way. Like like that that is his his sort of um, it's very meta. Uh, him 
commenting on Denise talking to this character that he created um, and defending her. Yeah. And letting her know where, uh, where he stands. Cause that, that also is just kind of seems to be David Lynch's attitude towards the world. I don't know if you've watched his weather reports. Mm I, I, I haven't actually, but this is something that I find fascinating about Lynch. It's, it's, it's his ability to understand, at least on some level, the outsider's perspective, like their experience, whether that's like in The Elephant Man, you know, or or like Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. It's like, and here in The Return, it's like, he says to like Denise to let her know that he's on her side. I told them to change their hearts or die. And that was his like answer to the transphobia. He lets us know that he understands and is through the character that he plays. It's communicated in the themes of his films, but, but also it, it's communicated in the aesthetic too. The form. This is true for Bergman as well. The form speaks for itself. How Bergman shoots the camera how he frames the subjects, it, there's a visual poetry to all of it. And it says something about the female psyche and also longing for women. Whether that longing is like wanting to be with a person or wanting to be the person, it's there, it's present, and we can't just shy away from it in our analysis. As far as uh, when you mentioned uh, form... Um, how, uh, especially in Persona, the frame of of Persona is one of the most interesting parts to me because it the way it starts off is very um, it starts off with the, the 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 kid the the little boy and you know one of the most iconic images from the film is him reaching reaching up to the uh, the, uh, the projection face yeah. yeah the projection of uh, Elizabeth's face and. Okay, I mentioned Bergman has mommy issues. Um, his mm-hmm. uh, classic Freudian. One, his mother's name was Karen, and was it really? His mother's name was Karen. Um, huh. Yeah, I don't pay close attention to like the names of characters, but wasn't that the name of the girl who was brutally raped in Virgin Spring? Uh, yeah, actually, go through his filmography, find out how many women are named Karen. It's kind of ridiculous. Huh, I never noticed that. It's fucking bonkers. He reaches out for the woman wanting to come closer to the woman on the screen, and therefore Bergman uses film to channel what he longs for. Femininity, maternity, whatever it is. Yeah, that is is very much easy to see the the way Bergman reaches for uh, his mother, because that, that, that pursuit of the femme is... I don't think it's just in romantic relationships. It is also uh, that that's why so many of us have mommy issues is because the way our society is structured, um, at least in, in in the modern world, uh, moms and dads are our models, our first models for gender. Explored more depth in like Hour of the Wolf, Cries and Whispers, Autumn Sonata. That's like what that whole movie's about. Um, but his his troubled relationship with uh, his mother, which um, I think he literally says at some point. Cause there are so many stories from Bergman's life uh, that are uh, very telling. Um, like, like I'm not just I'm not just claiming that Bergman was trans because of themes in some of his movies. I like I've I've read about the guy's life, and 
A little fruity. Yeah, it, it is, it's, it's pretty clear to me. But, um, just mommy issues in general. Cause, cause, like, you know, my, my thing with, um, and touching back on psychoanalysis, with Freud, hot take on Freud. Oh boy. I don't think he was entirely wrong. I mean, not entirely. About, uh, about some things. He, he was a, he was a, 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 yeah. Uh, there are so many problems with him, and I, I do not like the idea of holding him up as any yeah, sort yeah. of. He was but... making breakthroughs in psychology, and while not all of them like hold up today, he was making strides, important strides, and reshaped how we thought about things or exposed how we think about things already. The Oedipal complex is a thing, and it's observed all across culture, literature, plays. Uh, everything it's there whether we like it or not men hate their dads and long for some kind of maternal comfort and they find this in their partners and it becomes rinse and repeat they pass this on to their children maybe they will look for that comfort in other people but they will look for it it's like society is like structured this way and i think that people get upset about freud less so because he is wrong and more so because they want him to be wrong he strikes a nerve with them because he makes them feel uncomfortable. Gets people to think critically about the relationships to their own parents and to their children. But he's, he was still wrong about a lot of things. Oh yeah, a lot of things. But like the, the, the idea of sexual issues as they relate to the family structure, uh, that is... That's a very real thing because the family structure is socially constructed. And Freud was coming at from the perspective of the 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 modern world, like modernity, mm-hmm. the, the early 20th century. And that was when the nuclear family really started to started to crystallize. And the problem with one of the many problems, many problems with the nuclear family is that it is built on this model of that that freud observed not not that he invented but that he observed in yeah. yeah because like the relationships in the nuclear family like the dynamics and and whatnot are um i'd argue are inherently inherently toxic they encourage strained relationships between uh between children and their parents on the basis of gender um if you're if you're if if you if, if if you're a girl, your mom is a is competition uh, f- of sorts. If you're if you're a guy, y- your mother is a an item of conquest. And if you're a transsexual, um, that that's like trans rights, baby. Crossed wires and everything. That's just a fucking mess. Society can't, like, account for trans people because they inherently challenge what we know about gender and what men and women can be. They they, they deviate from those boxes. Yes, that's right. And this is also what, like, the film Funeral Prey to Roses kind of shows, which we'll get into in the next episode. It's like the Oedipus rex in a transgender sort of context it's like the film observes like the fallacy of the gender binary just as it observes the fallacy of documentary and fiction filmmaking that binary yeah i i have a lot more to say on funeral parade roses uh and and, and it's, yeah. it's it's interesting and it says a lot about where we're at you know you know gender on a intercultural sense honestly 
I think psychoanalysis can actually really be really beneficial in understanding culture and like the art that culture produces. And I think it also can help us understand our own relationships to the nuclear family and, and how gender is kind of like, you know, imposed upon us by our parents and, and how we kind of follow their footsteps and long to destroy or dominate them either like on a, on a literal level or just more on a kind of like a uh, abstract sense. Having that, having our models for femininity and masculinity manifest in our romantic conquest, our pursuits in life, what we do on an everyday and individual basis, like what we do at work, what we do at home, all of it. It all ties back to gender and power. Because some uh, Austrian cokehead uh, over a hundred years ago was like, huh, this is, this is kind of strange, this, this aspect of uh, modernity um, and the modern state of, of relationships, uh, in, in, especially in the family. And since, he, since that guy pointed it out, we've not been able to stop obsessing over it, and we've, 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 we've replicated that. We've, uh... Gender, as it manifests in society, and then by extension, how we handle that, we use films as allegories for the real world. In reality, we're trying to assess and deconstruct patterns in life and in relationship to gender and sexuality, which are inherently intertwined. And yeah, the role of family within all that. And, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like what I'm interested in. And that's what, you know, we're both interested in. And, and I think that like... The, we want to deconstruct relationships in general, whether that's familial, platonic, romantic, sexual, sensual, whatever it is, relationships in general, uh-huh. in general, yeah. and how they relate to gender and power. That's what we're doing here on this podcast. Power at the end of the day. We're in this giant funk based off of gender and relationship to power. All of us. We're all in this funk. And we could try to transcend it, you know, with the art that we make. Comment on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, next time on Gender Weird, we're going to go a lot more into psychoanalysis by talking about Funeral Prey to Roses and another Japanese documentary about trans people titled Shinjuku Boys, which you'll be able to find on YouTube. But uh, we, we advocate piracy here as well. Mm-hmm um so uh however you can get your hands on copies of those films uh please do uh in time for the next episode because we're going to be really looking at um gender how it deviates from mainstream traditional understanding of male and female um as it's portrayed into quasi documentary films made about japanese uh the Japanese trans, drag, and, and gay scene. And um, so do check out Funeral Pretty Roses and uh, Shinjuku Boys, because that's what we'll be talking about next time. But like, we, we will be going down, like with this podcast, down kind of like deep and dark places. So do keep that in mind. Yeah. But know that we're, at the end of the day, we are here to kind of enlighten you, get you thinking. You don't have to agree with everything we say. But we want you to at least think about it. Mm-hmm. We need to wake up. Subscribe to our YouTube channels. Mine is Style of Substance. And mine is Vivian Strange. And if you have any uh, anything to spare, um, check out our, uh, our Patreons as well. 
Uh, Alright, thank you everybody for tuning in, and until next time, uh, stay gay. <laughs> Bye, strangers. Thank you.